Welcome to The Real Journey Show. On this podcast, you can expect guests of all backgrounds and professions to share a real journey they have experienced in this thing called life. From origin to current, the rocky ups and downs in the middle, and what is yet to come. The journeys of each guest will vary, but there is one thing that will remain constant. The listeners will be reminded that life experiences have a compelling way of connecting us, inspiring us, and empowering us to stay real. I am Tara Martin, your host of The Real Journey Show. Hey friends, so welcome back to The Real Journey Show. Today we're going to try something different, and I'm not even sure if this is proper etiquette for a podcast, but this is just something I felt in my heart, and it wasn't because I didn't have people to interview or interviews to edit and put on the podcast. But I just wanted to share a real journey of mine today. And I think I'll intermix these in with the interviews. So sometimes you might get me and sometimes most of the time you will get other people that you're either familiar with or never met before and you'll get to hear about their real journey. But today you get me. I have a ton of journeys that I can share through life. And I think most people that come on the show feel the same way, but As most of you know, if you've heard me speak, you know a little bit about me, and you know that when I was a little girl, I um, grew up in a home life that wasn't so lovely, and um, school was definitely my safe place. School was a place I ran to get in and not out, like Dave Burgess talks about in Teach Like a Pirate. It was the place I loved to be, and I wasn't necessarily learning very well. I was struggling in school from the time I started up until the second grade. I was still learning my letters and sounds. I was not the cool kid, not the one with lots of friends. And I really struggled. But my second grade teacher, Mrs. S, was just a gem. And she just took it upon herself to help a little girl in need. So when she asked everyone on the first day of school, what do you want to learn at the end of second grade? I knew what I was gonna tell her. I just couldn't wait for my turn to tell her. And as I was heading out to recess, she got down on one knee and she just said, sweetie, what do you wanna learn at the end of second grade? And I said, I want to learn to read. And she said, you're gonna learn to read. And it was just like that. like it should have happened immediately. (laughs) At least that's what I thought. I thought I might come back from recess and boom, it's going to be done. Like I can read. It didn't quite work like that. But every day she tutored me when I got off the bus and I didn't know it was tutoring. I honestly thought it was special privileges (laughs) and I thought I was something special to her. But she did. She gave me a homemade granola bar. She gave me big hugs. And I learned to read that year. And I never, not only did I learn to read, I leveled up with my peers and I never struggled in school again. But that didn't mean all of life's struggles were gone for me. I still had this um, abusive home life. I still had a lot of things that I had to overcome. And when I got to be a teenager, I was introduced to... Taekwondo. And that's kind of how I just want to tell you a little bit about the story. So I was introduced to Taekwondo and I really kind of got into it 
Um, my, my stepdad was actually very interested in it. So that really helped. But the coach that ended up coaching me, Coach M, he was just fantastic. He started teaching me self-defense. And it was something I really needed, literally. And I started, I joined the school and I started learning self-defense. And in return for him teaching me, I learned to get the little kids, the white belts, all stretched and ready for class. So it's kind of like how I paid my tuition <laughs> to learn these skills. And after not very long, he, he came to me and it was after I climbed the ranks of the belts a little bit and became just one away from my black belts. I was 15 years old. And he said, I think you would make a really great competitive kickboxer. And I'm like, dude, I see so much fighting. Like, I don't want to fight. I'm not a fighter. And he's like, no, you, you have the skills to do this. And you should do this. Like, you would crush this. And there's not a lot of girls. So back in when I was 15 years old, there weren't a lot of girls in the sport. So I thought about it for a hot second, and then, and then he threw out the real game changer. Um, there was a guy, he was a senior, and he, his name was Will, and he would be training with me because he was a competitive kickboxer in our school, and so it would just be the two of us, and I'm like, okay, sold. <laughs> I mean, if you can't convince them in one way or another, you just got to put a cute guy out there that's very fit and make him the person that trains with them. 15 year old girl, you see where I'm going. So I started all this rigorous training for competitive kickboxing. And wow, y'all, it's intense. Like every Saturday we would run 10 miles. And if you follow me on any social media, you know how much I do not like to run. I run, but I don't like it. And so we would train for hours at the, at the dojo is what we called our gym. And then we would run on Saturdays. Well, it got to this place where it was time to fight. It was time to have real fights. And right there in Southeast Texas, I started competitive kickboxing, literally with other girls. As I did these matches, I, I should make mention that I never knocked anyone out but I also never got knocked out or technically knocked out. So um, I was winning based off of points. But later, after several of these matches, I was honored to, with this opportunity to compete in our area's state championship semifinals. And it was in Austin, Texas. And I remember this like it was yesterday. It was a big time fight with cameras, like on the local news, everything. And y'all, I love training, but fighting in front of a bunch of cameras and a bunch of people was very intimidating for this girl. But, you know, my instructor, he was outstanding. Mr. Mr. M was just amazing. He made sure that I looked like a real kickboxer. By real, I had the blaring music. I had a spotlight that followed me to the ring. I bounced with determination. I was holding a robe over my head. Had Tara the tiger on the back of my robe. I mean, it was the real deal. And I felt like I was very prepared to fight this fight and I was ready for it. I just kind of pushed all these doubts behind me and I was like, I am a champion and I will be a champion. 
and I'm not going to let him down. Granted, I was an underdog by a lot. I mean, when I say the girl that I was fighting, her biceps were the size of my thighs. And so I was a little nervous when I got into that ring, but I was ready. And I felt like I had the training to do what I needed to do. By the third or fourth round, I remember sitting in that ring and just asking Mr. Manuel, I'm like, do you think I'm going to live through this? Like, she is so freaking strong. And here we were, we're just going through this fight. And I promise I'm going somewhere with this. But the truth of the matter is we got to the end. I did not get knocked out. I lost both my contacts in that fight. I was really beat up. I mean, I don't know how I missed her left hook every single time, but my eye was totally cut open and held together with these butterfly strips by round five. So it was intense, but I lost. I mean, I was still standing, but I lost. And I don't take losing well, ever, ever. And I definitely, even though I was the underdog in the situation, I did not want to be the loser. I was very frustrated. I was 15 years old and super disappointed in myself. And afterward, you know, I got my eye patched up and whatever, and I was ready to go. I just told my coach, I was like, hey, I'm ready to go. And he's like, are you kidding me? You have a crowd of people waiting out there because I don't know how they do it now, but then they had these two tables where the you and your competitor could stand there after the fights and fans can come down and meet you. And back then they took like Polaroid pictures, you know, with cameras, not with phones, but you could also, a lot of kids would bring their belts, like they would be wearing their Taekwondo belt. And so you could sign it for them. It was very interesting. I don't know if they do that any longer, but that's what they did at this fight. And um, so I was like, no, please don't make me go out there. I look terrible. Like I lost. They want to see her. They're not really interested in seeing me. And he basically said, you're going. They paid a lot of money to come watch you fight. And there are people out there that want to connect with you. So you're going. And he was basically telling me, you are not going to hide from this loss. Like you, that's not an option here. And so I dried my tears, swallowed my pride and did what he said. And when I reached the hallway, I saw this long line of a lot of people, but I remember very specifically seeing, seeing a long line of little girls with their little Taekwondo belts. And they were just waiting in my line, the loser's line for me to get out there. And I, it was just overwhelming to see that. I'm like, they want to see me? I lost. Why aren't they in her line? You know, and I tell you this story because it's pretty humbling. There were 10 key lessons that I, that came out of this match that I still carry with me today. And I just kind of want to go through them for a minute. But it was interesting things that these kids were saying, and adults too. But the little kids were just like, you were awesome out there. And one of them said, one of them was like, you're the pretty one. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't matter when you're getting your butt kicked, let me just tell you. And thank you for showing us that girls can fight too. And I want to be like you when I get big. And, you know, comments like those are 
what a loser wants to hear, right? It, it touched my heart in just such a real way. And I was smiling through the pain and hugging them and asking questions about their fighting experiences. And the whole entire scene of going through this fight, thinking I probably would win because I really did. I had this idea that underdogs coming up and winning was just like, to me, those are the best fights. Those are the best shows. That's the stuff I always want to watch when I see the underdog coming up and like taking it. And that's what I thought was going to happen. Well, it didn't happen. But what did happen is I learned some super valuable lessons about um, being a loser in a match and showing yourself approachable. So the A in real is about being approachable. So I call these the 10 approachability principles of the teen kickboxer. And the first one is dress for success. I think that's the just a really cool one to remember. I know right now we're in this COVID-19 quarantine and we're all, most of us are working from home and trying to figure this all out. But I think even in those settings, we have to dress for success. Mr. M didn't let me just show up, ragged out, you know, just in my workout clothes. No, I looked like a kickboxer. I looked the part. I was ready. I was physically ready. Like I, to the naked eye, I looked like a kickboxer. I was strong. I was wearing my little American flag shorts, this little... Uh, tank top, sports bra. I mean, I was in it to win it. I looked like a kickboxer. But when I showed up, I showed up literally and figuratively planning to win. And I think that's one of the things we have to do as educators, as leaders, as moms, as dads, whoever is listening, we have to show up and we dress the part and we plan to win. The truth of the matter is, going back to the fight, yeah, I had only been training for about a year, and the girl that I was fighting had been trained since she was three years old. She was a boxer first and then moved into kickboxing, which is why her right hook nearly took out my left eye. <laughs> no lie. She is strong as ever. So dressing the part didn't mean that, and I'm not saying you need to look one way and act another. Not at all. I'm actually saying dressing the part, no matter what you're doing, means you're getting up, you are getting ready, and you're putting your best foot forward, and your goal is to win. And I think that works for anything we're doing in life. We just need to dress for success. So my number two principle was, even if others intimidate you, be real. I do my best every day to be as real as possible. I don't wear one mask in front of political figures and then a different mask in front of my close colleagues or my family. I, I have the same face on every day, the one I see in the mirror. And sometimes I tell people I am real and almost to a fault sometimes. But the point is, even if others intimidate you, you have to be real. So in the intense match I just talked to you about, I couldn't let it show that I was terrified of this girl. I just told you her biceps were about the same size as my thighs. When I saw that, I wanted to let my mind go there, but I didn't because my coach had drilled it in my head that where your, where your mind goes, your body follows. And I believe that figuratively and physically, where your mind goes, your body will follow. 
And I couldn't let my mind get defeated before the fight ever began, or I would have been out. I would have been knocked out. And there's a lot of life lessons here, but regarding the approachability lesson that I was talking about is you can't turn and run when there's conflict. I mean, we're dealing with all kinds of conflict right now, so many uncertainties, but we can't turn and run. We have to stand strong. We have to give, like in my case, in this match, I had to give my opponent the real me. I had to know that I might not win, but I wasn't going to back down. And honestly, I still thought I was going to win. Even to the last, the last round, I still thought there was a chance I was going to win. And I think out there right now, there's so many educators trying so many new things. And it'd be easy to just be intimidated and to be like, forget this. I can't do this. Like, it's so much work. But please, if you're listening, and even if you're not an educator, if you're a small business owner, whatever it is, you are trying to get very creative to serve the people that you serve from a distance. And it's difficult. But I say through all of this, be real. You know, understand that there's going to be struggles, there's going to be ups, and there's going to be downs, there's going to be moments of success, and there's going to be moments of failure. But you show up, you have the courage and you stand strong and you be real. Don't let it, don't let the intimidation stop you. And so that leads me to number three, which blends right in. And it's just don't give up. Like others are watching you and they're hoping that you're staying strong. And that's what makes you approachable. And guess what? It's worth the blood, sweat, and tears. The endless hours of planning for all your learners that you're doing right now. The conversations you've invested in your students remotely since you can't have them face to face. These are all wonderful things that are, that people are looking to you. They see you doing this. They see you not giving up in the face of challenges, in the face of what seems like defeat, in the face of what seems like a really tough fight that you might be the underdog. Don't give up. Don't give up. Because if we give up, what does that say to the ones we serve? No, we have to get in there and we have to fight alongside them. That's what I had to do in that fight. I had to show up in that ring every single round planning to win. And everyone around was watching me. I didn't realize that, that I had fans out there, but apparently I did. So number four is smiling through the pain. And this is where I think it's hard because people are like, oh, that's kind of fake. No, it's really not. My smile at the end when I was visiting with those kids was not fake. It was not fake at all. In fact, the more they would tell me these heartfelt comments, it, I, I just couldn't help but smile. And as I was smiling, I felt energy just coming back inside of me. Like I felt this surge of energy this surge of encouragement and this validation that people actually cared about me and about my abilities to fight. And they were inspired by it, which blows my mind because I lost. I told you that a bunch of times. And so smiling through the, the pain doesn't mean being fake. Those genuine smiles were felt deep. And those kids knew, and, and there were many times, many of the kids, I remember asking me, like, does your eye hurt? And I'm like, yes, it hurts bad. I mean, it looks terrible. I should post a picture underneath this just so you guys could all see it. 
but my cognitive focus wasn't really on the pain. It was more on inspiring little people to be strong and to be courageous and helping them to know that, yeah, you might've lost, but you didn't, you didn't give up and you just smile through the pain and you just keep going. So that kind of leads me to number five. Number five is you don't have to be a winner all the time. Y'all, this is one I'm still learning because I really want to be a winner every single time. I don't want to lose and I don't want to deal with failure. I hate it, but it's part of life and it's just something we have to deal with. And honestly, right now in the situation that we're in, I think we might be dealing with failure a little more often than we want to at this point in the year, because as educators, for sure, we're used to kind of having a grip on teaching, our classroom management, all of those different things. And I, I am just not one to want it to slip and fail. I want it to work out. I want to work out the kinks. I want immediate feedback and I want to change it and I want to do better the next time. Right now I'm in CrossFit and I am just all about that immediate feedback. Tweak it, change it, tweak it, change it, tweak it, change it every day until I get it right. Because that's just kind of the nature of who I am. But the truth is you don't have to win all the time. But the humbling narrative that I spoke to you about, about this fight, I just learned a lot of valuable lessons from losing. I didn't race to make banners and tell my whole entire high school that I lost the but what I did is I just admitted that I didn't win. And, and I think that makes us human. It's okay to admit like that lesson didn't go very well. And clearly I'm not really good at this whole e-learning thing yet. Or maybe you're in the classroom and maybe this you're listening to this way later and you're in the classroom and whatever you just tried didn't work or you're a speaker and you're out there and you tried your first keynote and you're like, whoa, that was intense. Like that didn't go the way I planned. But that makes us human when we recognize that and we realize, you know what? I don't have to celebrate that losing moment. I don't have to dwell on it for days on end. I just need to figure out what did it go well and how will I adjust it to do better the next time? And I think if we keep that mindset, we understand that we don't have to win all the time. And we understand that every opportunity that we get in this thing called life is a new opportunity to learn something, to grow, and to expand our, our skills, whatever that is, professionally, personally, athletically, it doesn't matter. So it leads me to number six. Number six is never hide even after a loss. I told you I wanted to go to the car and just cry and play that song. I'm a loser baby as loud as I could because I felt like that and I just didn't want to talk to anyone. And that's kind of what I do when I don't feel I, when I don't feel like I've been successful. I just want to go by myself and regroup. But my, my coach, Mr. M, he told me losers don't hide. You're not a quitter. And they paid a lot of money to come see you. You're getting your butt out there and you're going to visit them with your cut eye and your bruised up face. You're going. And it was just like, I didn't have a choice. And I'm glad he didn't let me do what I wanted to do. Like go into a shell and isolate myself. And I think personally and professionally, I've often made mistakes that I've wanted to ignore and pretend that the situation, the error of the losing moment never happened. Just ignore it. Just like, okay, we're going to just forget about that and move on. 
But I think so many times we just have to swallow our pride and we just have to realize that, you know, we can't hide. And sometimes that means maybe saying, I'm sorry. I can't remember how many times I've had to tell my students that before. You know, I'm sorry, y'all, but this didn't go so great. Or I didn't say the right things when I did that. And I am so sorry. We're, we're going to start over. I'm going to try this again. Because that makes you approachable. When people know that you're not going to hide when you screw up and you're not going to hide when you lose, then they, they, they see that you're just human. And if I would have hidden that day, I would have missed seeing all those fans. And I would have missed this, these valuable lessons that I learned from this match because they didn't, they wanted to see the real me and they were okay that I lost. So that leads me to number seven, which is just facing your fears. I feel like <laughs> this one hits home a lot right now, especially for me. I'm sure others that are listening, I'd fought a lot of fights, but the opponent I fought that day, she was talented and y'all for real, she was buff. <laughs> she was so strong. And she was the real deal. I mean, she'd been boxing, like I said, and since she was three years old. So during the first two rounds, I was hopeful that I could pull off a win. But by round three, I knew once my eye was pretty damaged, I knew like I'm going to have to get it together to even come close to maybe even thinking about coming out of this. And so I, I did, I told you, I started to get super scared. I started to let some of that fear kind of sink in. And I started to focus on that throbbing pain in the left side of my head. And I knew I had to get a grip on it. I couldn't let those fears overcome me. I, I had to face those fears in our situation that we're in right now, there's a lot of fears that we're having to face. And every day we're showing up for our kids and we're, we're nervous. I mean, a lot of us are very concerned about the future because it's so uncertain and we don't really know. It changes every single day or every single week. We get a new standard of like what is supposed to be in place to flatten this curve. And I'm speaking of COVID-19 right now. But the fear can just paralyze if we don't face it. We have to just face the fear. And in this situation, I had to face my opponent. <laughs> I either faced her or got knocked out. That's just kind of how it was going to work. But in our situation right now, I think what fears are, are haunting you? What is it that you can just face and say, you know what, I'm just going to show up with courage every single day and I'm going to put my best foot forward and I'm going to strive to win this dang thing because that's what we do. I'd like to take it just a step further, like moving away from COVID-19 and just thinking about you personally. What about the fear of being who you were meant to be, fulfilling the purpose that you were given in this thing called life? I think a lot of times the fear is knowing our real potential. I think sometimes we're afraid of our real potential. I think a lot of times we know that we could potentially be successful at something, but we allow self-doubt to take over and we end up not trying it. So fear, face your fears. Number eight, 
be an encourager even when you're beat. As I stood in front of my table, mind you, I did not stand behind my table. I stood in front of them because most of those kids are so small. I just wanted to be able to see them and get on my knees and be able to face them face to face. But I remember having to encourage them, even though I was weary and I was hurting like a lot. (laughs) And I was telling them, asking about their fighting experiences, giving them advice. They were giving me advice of how my you know, I need to get better at blocking that left eye because she hammered it. And I, yeah, I definitely had proof of that. But as I was talking to the kids, I started realizing that I couldn't give way. I couldn't let myself think about all the pain that I was dealing with at that moment, not at the moment of speaking to them. I knew that would come afterward. But in that moment, I needed to be present for them. I needed to be there for them. I needed to be an encourager, even though I felt beat. There's a lot of things placed on everyone right now. But I think there's a time where we have to give way to those emotions and we have to schedule some time in our calendar to be able to hide in a closet and cry and just get out all of our emotions. But sometimes right there in front of our students, right there in front of those that we serve, we have to be the encourager. We have to be the one that says, you've got this. Oh, you're facing a fight next week. You've got this. You totally have this. And even though we just faced a a losing match or we feel defeated ourselves, just be the encourager, even when you're beat. And then make some time for yourself to give way to all those emotions because you still need to release them at some point, but it might just not be right when the student or the person that you serve is right there in front of you. So that leads me to number nine. To some, your loss is irrelevant. They just adore the real you. And this was so evident. They did, those kids did not care that I lost. Like there was hardly anybody in my opponent's line, but she was so serious and so unapproachable. And I was like smiling and in front of my table and signing belts and listening to advice from kids and giving advice. (laughs) And I think, Sometimes people, like we screw up a lesson, we screw up something in our professional world and the people don't care that we lost. We admitted we did it wrong. We're going to turn and change things around and they just love the real you. They love the real you. So be you, be real, be approachable. And it doesn't really matter that you lost because sometimes the reason people connect with you has nothing to do with winning or losing. They want to know your story. They want to know the process. They want to know what did you do next after you lost that match, after you didn't do well on that whatever, fill in the blank. They want to know who you are now, having gone through that learning experience. They want to know what lessons did you learn and how will you move forward? What really matters is the way you approach those who witnessed your misattempt. That's what really matters because they care about you and they're watching you and they're learning from you and how you approach situations. So the last one is just listening to learn, not judge. And I think this is just one that we really, as a human race, I am included Matt, need to really get a grip on this one and listening to learn and not to judge. This one might be the hardest one, but I feel like missteps and miscommunications 
typically occur when I assume the solution over listening to learn more. A lot of times I <laughs> am the self-appointed queen of thinking and overthinking. I am such a detailed-oriented person, and it's, it's good sometimes, and it can be a really terrible trait sometimes. It takes very little time for me to overanalyze the situation and believe I know more than what I actually do. But when I take the time to listen, when I take to, the time to ask clarifying questions, and when I take the time to really try to, to see the situation from the other person's perspective, I am far more empathetic. But it's Every one of those you noticed, it said, when I take the time, it actually requires time. And that is something that is so hard for us, especially in the moment when, for right now, when we're Zooming with 100 kids at the same time, it's really difficult to hear everyone. So how are we making opportunities to be able to allow them to share more about the situation so we can get those clarifying questions, so we can understand a little bit better the situation and we can assess it from a place of listening to learn and not to jump in and solve problems. So that was one thing that really stood out to me, especially as I knelt there with this bruised face, bleeding in front of the table with all these kids. They didn't try to figure it all out. They were just asking questions and they were listening to my responses and they just wanted to learn more about how I became a fighter, how I learned through these situations. And so I say, let's be more like children. Let's listen to learn and not to judge. And so those are my 10 approachability principles of the teen kickboxer. I just wanted to bring that up today. I feel like there's still a lot of things that we're dealing with today that really kind of go along with those 10 approachability principles. And while I lost the state semifinals match that day, when I was 15 years old in that, in that arena, I walked away a champion. I did, champions win, and I won something greater than a trophy or than fame from that experience. I won a timeless treasure that I can share with the world now. The principles I learned about being approachable from a fight, no less, <laughs> still echo in my mind and my heart all these years later. Isn't it beautiful learning through life? Oftentimes, I think it's the most unusual circumstances that teach us the lessons we treasure for years to come. And I think that relates to what we're dealing with right now with COVID-19. It's sometimes the most unusual situations, and this would definitely fit there, that teach us lessons that we treasure or we cherish for a lifetime. Hope you enjoyed that journey today, uh, approachability principles of the teen kickboxer, and maybe learned a few things, but maybe just reassured you of some wonderful things that you're already doing. And thank you for showing yourself approachable, even though we're having to be at a distance from those that we care about, those that we love, those that we serve. You can still show yourself approachable with these principles virtually. See you next week. Same place, same time. I'm really excited about next week's episode. It's um, it's like ready. So I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Thank you so much for joining The Real Journey Show. 
We are excited you tuned in today and hope that you have left feeling inspired and empowered to stay real and share your real journey with others. Remember, real, it's all about being relatable, exposing a little vulnerability, approachable, and learning through life. You can connect with me on Twitter at TaraMartinEDU or visit my website, TaraMMartin.com. Please use the hashtag RealJourneyShow to share your thoughts of today's episode. Tune in next week, The Real Journey Show.